Okay. I'm Cheryl Marklin. I am the Childhood and Family Ministry Strategist for the Baptist State Convention of North Carolina. Um, I thank you so much for being here. We're going to be talking about how do you make it count at church. Um, we know that even before COVID, a regular attender was counted as somebody who came one to two times a month, which is really sad. Um, I've been at the convention for nine years, a little over nine years, and I was at a church before that 11 years. And so that's 20 years ago, which is just really hard for me to believe um, until I look in the mirror and it's like, okay, 20 years ago. But um, when I started at my previous church, we had Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. And the child who did not come to all three was the anomaly. By the time I left, 10 years later, the child who did come to all three was the anomaly. And come summertime, where I, where I was in a more affluent community, I just, I'll be honest, I just gave up. Because it didn't matter how fast I tap danced or how much fun I threw at them, they were not going to come on Wednesday nights during the summer. It was just fact. And so we had to acknowledge that and move on. Now we're dealing with COVID throw that into the mix. And for a long time, children's ministries were not meeting, even if the, uh, you were having worship time. And I know the church I attend is a church that has a lot of senior adults. They had senior adult Sunday school, but children's ministry really didn't start back until the fall. I mean, it was almost a year there without any children's ministry at all. And so we recognized during that span and those of you, I know I've talked to Jeff and different ones, I mean, tried to create great content and send it out to the parents, thinking that the parents would do Sunday school at home. How well did that work? No, it didn't. And so there are many kids that for a year or more probably received little to no intentional discipleship. And so those of us who are in children's ministry are going, there's this gap because we know they need to be learning the whole time. So there's this gap and you may feel like, how am I gonna make up this time? And what's interesting is when these guys or these boys and girls are adults, we're gonna look back and be able to point to this gap. And for some kids, this gap is going to be a, a chasm because their parents haven't returned at all or they are returning sporadically. So what are we going to do? We can either throw in the towel. It's like Dave Rhodes while ago when he asked the question, is it worth it? You may have had times this past year, especially those of you who are in leadership trying to recruit workers who say, I'm not coming back or I've really enjoyed this not having to plan and teach or I'm going to another church, whatever reason. Uh, very few churches are saying, I have enough workers, I have enough volunteers. Children's ministry, it's always an issue. Um, children's ministry has the largest number of positions to recruit for to start with. And then you add COVID and the attitude of volunteers coming back. And you're just, is it worth the aggravation? Is it worth sleepless nights? Is it worth it to stay in leadership? Maybe I should just stay home too and watch, watch worship in my pajamas. So 
Let's look at how we can make sure that whatever we give is done with excellence, that it's done with effect. And so that's what we're going to be looking at today. Um, we're going to start off with just some simple brain facts that I think are just fascinating. I like studying brain development. So an infant's brain will triple in size during its first year. So what does that mean for how we teach in the infant room? We better be doing it. We better be doing it. It's, good care is important, but they can get that anywhere. I tell people, if preschoolers can say ball, they can say Bible. If they can say juice, they can say Jesus. But you may be the only place they hear those words. So teach it. Make sure that it counts. 75% of the brain is water. That's why you stay hydrated. That's why sometimes if you get thirsty, your brain also gets foggy. The brain contains 86 billion neurons. Can you imagine that? That's amazing how, you know, when people want to say there's no creator. Wow. I mean, just that right there should just, should just blow that out of the water. Short-term memory lasts 20 to 30 seconds if information is not processed in the brain. And as it's processed, it's attached to other information. I am horrible, horrible with names. I can remember your face, but I'm terrible. I will not remember your name. I'm just, I'm sorry. It's just fact. But it's that, that 20 to 30 seconds because I don't take time in my brain to slow down and process the information. I tell people that's the beauty of children's ministry. You can go, honey, sweetie, call them whatever you want, and they don't know that you can't remember their names. So it works for everybody but their daddies. Um, reading out loud uses different brain circuits than reading silently. So that's why we provide a, different, a variety of activities to engage the whole brain. Information travels in the brain at approximately 270 miles per hour. That blows my mind. That puts NASCAR to shame. Memorization is a skill that can be developed, and that is a skill that is not being developed with our children today. I tell people, I can remember in fourth grade, we had a teacher that every Monday wrote a poem on the board. We had to write that in our little poetry notebook and illustrate it, and we were supposed to say that to her on Friday. And I guess I did. I said, the only one I can remember is Joyce Kilmer's, I think that I shall never see a poem as lovely as a tree. And that's all I can remember, <laughs> just those two lines. It's whose lovely breast is pressed against the earth. Sweet flowing breast. Yes, I, Yay. <laughs> poems, poems are made by fools like me, but only God can make a tree. Cool. That's so you're showing your age. But um, the fact that you can even remember. But... That memorization is great, but it ha you remember, go back to the thing about the 20 to 30 seconds. You've got to attach it to something else, and that's what we're going to be talking about today. Um, I don't know how many churches have Awana, Awana, and this is not a slam on Awana. Please don't hear that. Hear me say that. The church I came from had Awana. But what drove me crazy about Awana was kids would come, read the verse five times in the car, come in and say it as quickly as they can to get their check mark. And 10 minutes later, they can't tell you the first thing. To me, we're teaching them to cheat using scripture because they haven't learned it. They, they've done that short-term memory thing, that 20, th 20, to second, 20 to 30 second thing, 
but it's really not going to be transformative in their life because they haven't taken the, they haven't learned it. And we're going to talk about how we can help kids take information and learn it and make it useful into their lives. Um, The amount of information the brain can receive and process at one time is limited. The best way to teach is to chunk information and allow breaks for processing, and that's the educational word, chunking information. Um, chances are, sometimes I wish pastors knew this because or, or would pay attention to this because you will stand there and get a 45-minute sermon and you go, man, that was really good. But how much of it do you actually remember? You're going to remember the last one or two points or if he's told a story that was really interesting and tied some information to that. Or if you're like me, that's the way my brain works. So we need to consider how we can chunk information. That's the beauty of children's ministry. If you sit them in a circle for 20 minutes and talk at them, that's not going to be nearly as effective as giving them a chunk of information and letting them work with it. Then another chunk of information, and let's work and process that. And, and that's the way children's ministry curriculum is written. It's written for this chunking. Um, and so today we're going to be talking about, and this, this is, I didn't get this anywhere else. This is my thing. It's not scientific, but it's just experience. I think we take information, and when children come into a classroom, we, we work at three levels, ideally. The first one is we want to work for understanding. What's important? What are the dates? What are the facts? What's the name of the country? What time period did this happen? Um, I think that's important. What is important? We can't leave that out. That's our starting point. But if we're not careful, if we leave it there, then it doesn't have a whole lot of purpose or value. It's just information. It's like the Iwana reading it five times and coming in and saying it. I know the words, but I have no idea what the verse means. And so it's not going to have an impact in my life. The next is purpose. Why is it important? Why should I know this information? Why did God put this story in the Bible? And then value is how is it important? How is it going to inform and change how I live my life? Now here's, I I found this ball in the basket over there and I thought this is a great, very simple way of explaining this. What is important? What's the name of this thing? It's a ball. It's It's important to know that because if you want another one, you need to be able to ask somebody for a ball. What's the shape of the ball? It's round. It's round. Yeah, it's a circle. It's a sphere. Um, This one is hard plastic. There's nothing squishy about it. You know, this one would be good for uh, t-ball, but, you know, it'd be kind of hard for basketball. So that's the basic information. And if I look really hard, I'll probably find where it's made in China somewhere. But um, all that is just general information, what it is. Now, why is it important for me to know what this is? How you can use it. Yeah. How I can use it. I could... The purpose of a ball is to play with, to play a game with, right. But how is it important? If I have a ball, I can, yeah, I can toss it. 
I can play with my friends. I can build relationships as I play with my friends. I get physical exercises. I chase the ball. Um, I built my eye-hand coordination. There's all kinds of purposes, value to knowing what a ball is and having a ball in my hand. So that's kind of the levels here. What is important? Why is it important? How is it important? Now we're going to look at, first of all, understanding. The Bible says, happy is the person who finds wisdom and happy is the person who gets understanding. You know, it's nice to know things. And so uh, this is why this verse is important from Proverbs 3.13. Now, how do we look at understanding at the preschool level? What are some things we need to know about preschoolers? Preschoolers have... Short attention spans. We know that. I think they say, it depends on who you're reading. They say the average preschooler has an attention span of one minute of their age plus one or two minutes. If it's something they're really interested in, they're going to hang with it longer. If they're not interested, they're not going to hang with it. It's just fact. That's why we have to plan so many more things to do for preschool Sunday school because their attention spans are short and they're going to move through stuff more quickly. Um, they have concrete and literal language. In other words, they see what you say. Now, one of the hardest things when you're new to preschool ministry is developing a vocabulary. I tell people when I worked in children's ministry all the time, I had like this mental translator. It was almost like another language. I, I had my adult version of what I wanted to teach. But I would have to translate it into kids speak for them to be able to grasp it. And so they're concrete. They're literal. They see what you say. We can say, like a day like today, it's raining cats and dogs. I don't see any cats. I don't see any cats. I don't see any dogs. Why is it raining cats and dogs? Just something that simple. So we have to understand that. We have to understand they don't understand sarcasm. Sometimes we will say something thinking it's funny, but they take it quite literally. And so we have to be conscious of what we say and how we say it for them to gain a true understanding of what we're trying to teach. And they need physically safe environments. That means that we have a safety and security plan and system, system in place. And that's a whole nother conference. But we have a place where they can come in, where their parents feel comfortable leaving them. But it's like for those little ones, we're going to have a place that's, that's got plugs, uh, um, outlet covers, so that they're not going to stick their finger in. We're going to make sure that, I know, uh, I know of one family that many years ago um, in a daycare, they had a crock pot with hot water where they heated the bottles, which is great. But the child pulled that boiling water off on them and for years had to have skin grafts and things. And it's just a thing where somebody wasn't thinking. It wasn't intentional. But you have to go in and look at your space. Is it physically safe? Is it clean? You know, one of the things I do a conference on first impressions. You know, if somebody walks into your preschool area, the first thing they're going to notice before anything else is how does it smell? <laughs> you know? 
That's part of that physically safe. There's no mold in this area. It's clean. It's not musty. All those things are critical to developing an environment where preschoolers um, feel welcome and safe. Now, what about younger children? Um, we need to include movement. If, we, if I watch you guys, right now everybody's pretty still, but if I give it 15 more minutes, you're going to be twiddling your pencil. You're going to be rocking your feet. You're going to be just kind of fidgety. Because we all need movement to learn. Movement, believe it or not, reinforces learning. And so we need to give kids a place um, and include movement in your teaching. That means that when it comes time for your church to allocate space, you need to consider, is there enough floor space in here that our kids can get up and move around freely? You know, do we need to reconsider having this great big table in the middle of the room? So those are things you need to remember. Uh, for them to remember information, we need to recall, relate, repeat. That means you as a teacher need to learn the information. If you want to use a Bible verse from a week ago and want them to remember it, guess who has to learn it first? You do. Where it becomes a natural part of your conversation as you teach. Have them uh, to recall what they learned last week. And as you recall, what you're doing is repeating. Relate what you're teaching if it's something that's um, historical or a scripture or whatever, relate it to something real life. Remember I said the brain needs some, a hook to hang information on? Create hooks in their brain by relating it to something that they already know. And then provide for younger kids, they need an emotionally safe environment. A place where they can ask questions and know they're not gonna be laughed at or ridiculed. Um, <laughs> years ago, um, when we had a wana at the church, I said, I, I did council time. I loved it because I tell people it's like you have this God box in your, this is my theory, you have this God box in your head. Everybody does. And I think with kids, their God boxes are big. But the beauty of it is, is teachers, you get them to take the God box out and open it up. And what's the first thing a kid's going to do with the box of stuff? They're going to dump it out on the floor. They're going to pull it out. Find, help them find a place where they can explore who God is in your teaching environment. I mean, I just think that's a, a beautiful thing because God wants out of the box. And as they, as they deal with the things of God, it becomes part of who they are. It becomes part of their language. It becomes part of their DNA. So create an environment where it is safe for kids to explore who God is. Um, one little boy that uh, I was close to his family, and he could be a little bit of a joker. He was an only child who had lots of adult attention, and he could just do things sometimes just, you know, he was doing it just to get attention. But I was doing the story of creation that night, and when I got through, he said, Miss Cheryl, if, we had, if Adam and Eve had not sinned, we would all be sitting here naked. <laughs> Now, I, could know, I know this little boy. That was the beauty of having a relationship with him. I knew he was serious. Yes. He was, but he felt like this was a... I did not laugh. I didn't miss a beat. We went right into a conver, great conversation about what sin is and the impact of sin. He wasn't trying to 
yanked my chain. He really was wrestling with the information. And so you want to create an environment through how you react, through your openness for them to explore things of God. So that's having that emotionally safe environment. And for older kids, older kids are about building relationships. You know, they're beginning to move away from mom and dad just a little bit, trying to pull that, break some of those chains. But by doing that, they're also building relationships with other significant adults in their lives. That's the beauty of having the same teachers in the classroom week after week. Because you can build a relationship with somebody you know you can count on. When you have those rotational leaders, and I know right now in the middle of COVID, that may be the best you can do. I get that. But I would have as a goal to have at least one teacher who is there every week that the kids can build a relationship with. Um, you know, offer opportunities for them to have conversation, especially those girls. That's how they relate to others. Boys relate in a different way. They relate physically side by side, playing games and wrestling and basketball and all the rest. But girls relate to each other through conversation. So you want to provide time and space for them to have those conversations. And it needs to be a spiritually safe. This is where they're really beginning to make those commitments for the rest of their lives. Who is Jesus? Who is God? What does it mean to be a Christian? What does it mean to be a disciple, a follower of Christ? And so you want an environment where you challenge, where you question, if necessary, where you call them on the carpet. If you see behaviors that aren't appropriate and how they are relating to each other. Not fussing, but using that relational conversation. Now we want to move into how do we take that information that we've given them and begin to form disciples of Christ. This is that formation piece. This is that deeper level of teaching. Um, 2 Timothy 3.17 says, Using the scriptures, the person who serves God will be ready and will have everything he needs to do every good work. I mean, wouldn't it be fantastic if you were equipping kids to do what God has called them to do? Mm to make decisions that are pleasing to Him. And granted, you make it, when we talk about is it worth it, they, how many hours are in a week? 168. I know, take your socks off, socks and shoes off. There's 168 hours in the week. If you get one hour a week, which would be a super attender, that is less than one half of 1% of a child's week. And it's easy for us, we can look at it two ways. We can say that's not enough time to make a difference or if that's all the time I have, I'm going to make a difference with every second I have access to these kids. So it's a choice. All right, with preschoolers, we want to offer choices. They, you know, there'll come a time when they will make a decision for Christ and we need to help them learn that they can trust their ability to make choices. But they also need to learn that when you make a choice, there's a consequence. You live with it. We want to establish patterns, creating routines in the classroom. And fun, sometimes as children's ministry leaders, we get frustrated because what's the first thing the parents ask the kids when they pick them up? Did you have fun, Did you have fun today? <laughs> and fun doesn't have to be a bad word, but we need to make sure that our fun has a purpose. And so we want, with these preschoolers, yes, 
We want them to have fun. We want them to come in. We don't want them to cry when mom and dad leaves them because after about three weeks of mom and dad guilt, you know, walking down the high, hall stressed out that they left their child crying, they may decide it's not worth it. And so we want them to have fun, but at the same time, we want that fun to have a purpose. And that goes through all ages. Now, with younger children, we want to begin to have, in earnest, those faith conversations. Um, I tell people, I'm 64 years old, and when I grew up, um, there were, you did not talk about um, sex, you did not talk about how much money you made, and you did not talk about your religion in polite company. You just didn't. There were these things you didn't do. And for me, when I went into ministry, one of the hardest things I had to overcome was my resistance to talk about things of God. It just did not come naturally to me. That's part of that God box thing. And those is helping kids realize that God is part of everyday life. And it's okay to talk about it. But... We need to, and we, we teach them how to do that through having our own faith conversations with them. We want to teach in a way that we are habit forming. And for that, I mean creating defaults. You all have things that you do that you don't think about. Um, when you get up in the morning, you're going to brush your teeth. Do you sit there and go, hmm, do I brush my teeth today? Let's do it. Yeah. Um, do I... Let's see, when you get in the car, for me, I don't have to think about it. I automatically put my seatbelt on. Now, there was a time we didn't have to wear seatbelts, and it felt weird. I had to develop a habit to put my seatbelt on. When I was pregnant is when it was, my son's 38, and when I was pregnant is when the big push came for wearing seatbelts, but I was pregnant. And so, yep, I love you, click. It just became my default. I don't even think about whether or not I'm supposed to wear my seatbelt. And so for younger children, this is a great time to begin building those defaults. I will be kind to my friends. I will uh, watch the language that I speak. I will speak with respect to adults. All those things, we can work to create habit, to create defaults, where it's not something they have to decide are they going to do it. It's just what comes naturally. It's just part of who they are. For younger children, we want to give them opportunities for service. Now, I know a lot of churches, and this is something as I have learned more that I've been convicted of. As a children's ministry leader, I would create opportunities for kids to serve. You know, we would go Christmas caroling to the senior adults, or we would uh, do a party for less fortunate kids, all these things. But I, as a leader, did not intentionally tie it back to Scripture. I didn't intentionally tie it back to why are we doing this. It's, but beyond this is a nice thing to do. You know, their school does nice things. Their families do nice things. But if I want this, this to be a disciple-making event, then I need to tie it back to Scripture. I don't have to preach at them, but they need to know that we are doing this because Jesus loved others. Jesus cared for others. And so tie that back and make it an opportunity uh, for discipleship. And this is another one. This is a whole other conference too. Discipline is discipleship. What's the root word of discipline? Disciple. disciple. 
You know, it's easy for us as adults, especially on Sunday morning and you maybe the other teacher didn't show up and you're trying to manage eight boys and they're going wacko and, and you're just frustrated. And so it's easy for when they do something to either fuss at them or send them to the corner or send them a timeout. But what would happen if we had a lens, if we had a viewpoint where our discipline was going to be part of our discipleship process, where our discipline teaches them that um, this is not acceptable behavior and this is why. We teach them, uh, Madeline Swift, I bet you guys were there when Madeline Swift spoke, and this is the one, my one big takeaway from that, or several, one of several. She said, when children misbehave, that is your opportunity, that is their invitation for you to enter their world and teach them a better way to live. But if we take that viewpoint, if we're teaching, we're, we're going to teach you how to handle life from the perspective of Christ, then that means our discipline has to be uh, intentional, that we want to teach them the best way to live, and that's the way of Christ. Now, for older children, we want them to understand the historical context of what's happening. I think that's crucial as I, get, as I read through the Bible, especially I love doing the chronological things where you read and it connects the dots. I, I love doing that. But, and, and that's one of the things like more and more curriculums are offering Gospel Project and Answers in Genesis. They're doing that chronological study to help kids understand that the Bible is not a series of stories. It is one, God's one story. But understanding that historical context is important. To me, it adds value and meaning. Um, but we, we can't be remiss in helping our older kids understand how that historical story has relevance for today. What's the modern day context and application? That's crucial too. Why is this important for me to know? I think one of the, the a few years ago somebody said one of the beautiful, beautiful things of the Bible or one of the important questions to ask is why do you think God put this story in the Bible? Why did he chose people to put this story in the Bible. And that opens it up to a whole new, to a conversation. Sometimes we don't know how to start faith conversations. That's a great conversation starter. Why do you think God put this in the Bible? Why do you think God thought it was important for us to know what's taught in this story? Now we're going to, um, I've given you information so far. Anybody got a question? Okay, we're going to move on. Transformation, the big thing. Um, it's one thing to know what a ball is. It's important to know that a ball can be used in all kinds of different games. But what makes a ball have value is when I take it outside with my friends. That's where it's going to have personal value to my life. So how are we going to take what we've learned in the classroom out into the world? And that's part of your role too is helping them understand why why what you taught on Sunday morning matters on Tuesday afternoon. So we're going to look at this. Uh, Romans 12, 2 says, Do not be shaped by this world. Instead, be changed within by a new way of thinking. Then you will be able to decide what God wants for you. You will be able to know what is good and pleasing to God and what is perfect. How many of you as adults know what always know what is good and pleasing to God? No. 
No. But for kids, we need to help them understand that this is something to seek. What is pleasing to God? Why does it matter to God? And that's important. Now, in preschool, uh, as far as transformative teaching, we're going to look at life foundations. Why does this matter? When they're in home living and you can tie what they're doing back to Scripture, that's transformative teaching. Because y'all know, if you've ever watched preschoolers, what happens in home living is really what happens at home on Monday morning. I mean, you learn a whole lot about a family by watching home living. But our hope is that what happens at home living and how we teach them there is going to go back home. That it, it trans, that it's, uh, what do they call it? When I was in, took algebra, it's a commutative property. That what happens on this side happens on this side. It needs to balance. So let's take those opportunities where that, that fun with the purpose where what's happening, we, t we as teachers intentionally recall, repeat, and relate it back to life and help build, um, we help them see how what we're teaching has impact in how they live life. We teach them problem-solving skills. Um, if they are playing with the blocks, I, I wrote an article for our, our children's ministry newsletter and I interviewed uh, school classroom teachers. And I said, when kids came back after this long break from COVID, what did you experience with kids that would be relevant that I could share with Sunday school teachers or church leaders? And it was so interesting. One kindergarten teacher said the behavior because she said there was um, one child had built a, a thing of blocks in the block center and another kid came up and kicked it. Well, the first kid stands up and punches the kid who kicked their blocks. Mm -hmm. And she was like, why did you do that? And the little boy said, I forgot he wasn't my sister. <laughs> so, yeah. And so, but what, as teachers, again, this is making sure you have enough leaders so that you have the time to do, teach problem-solving skills. But as one child comes up and kicks the other's blocks, sometimes they're not being mean or ugly. Sometimes it's just fun to kick blocks. And so, but what could we have taught through an, through an episode like that? What are some problem-solving skills we could teach? I'm asking y'all, what are some skills? How to use your words. How to use words, yes. What happens if the deed's already been done? How can you help clean up? How yeah. can you help rebuild? Yeah, how can you help rebuild? Yeah. How can you show that you're sorry? Yeah. And hopefully they are. <laughs> if it was fun, they may not be sorry. And don't just force the child to say, tell him you're sorry. Yeah. You may be telling yeah. him to lie. Yeah, because I mean, you know, how many you of you... turn your back, he'll yeah. do it again. I'm sorry. Yeah. You know, they've said the words. But... Teaching them problem-solving skills is important. What if you've told them not to mess around at the snack table and they spill the juice? What's the response? Here's a paper towel. Help. Yeah, let's help clean it up. Yeah. Instead of, what if our first response is, go to timeout? What does that teach? Sometimes timeout is appropriate if a child is out of control and really needs some time just to kind of collect themselves. 
I mean, there's times you as a teacher need to time out chair if you're honest. But let's use opportunities to teach problem-solving skills, cause and effect, um, consequences. I mean, you're building a f in their faith life. You're part of that. Part of doing this problem-solving skills is faith development. Because there's going to come a time when they recognize that they have sinned, they have done wrong. What's the consequence if you don't uh, repent of your sin? And how can you make it right? How did, what did Jesus do to help the child make it right? In preschool, we're always trying to build a foundation. What we say is we're always trying to build a foundation. Because we're probably not going to mm -mm. save them in that area. No. But we're no. getting them ready for it. And if we don't start teaching the sin process down there, they're, they're not going to be ready to feel sorrow for it and realize they need a Savior when they get older. Right. And I, th I think the beautiful thing of starting in preschool is we're starting to give them vocabulary. Mm -hmm. We talk about in preschool giving them words to describe their emotions. Yeah. This is part of that, giving them words to describe their need for a Savior. That's part of that process. Developing a sense of, of trust of right. the people around me, my teacher. Because if I can't trust her or people in my family who I do see, how will I ever trust someone like Jesus that I can't see? Right. And, and I, I ask people, what is the foundation of faith? It's trust. So we have to be able to trust. That's what we build in preschools, that trust. That's that foundation for future faith development. And they, we also want to give them relational skills. Um, there are some kids who this past year have been at home. You know, we've got some parents who are just very afraid to let their kids out anywhere. And so this, when I talked to those um, teachers for the, for the article, one of the things they talked about was that... Um, delay a regression in relational skills. And so even up to seventh grade, they talked about the seventh graders coming in and just standing in the room. And she said, one teacher said, you know, normally with seventh graders, they come in, there's energy and buzz and you have to work to get them quiet. And she said those first couple of weeks they came in and just stood there and it was silent. She said it was, she had rather have the noise than the silence. And so they, they learned that they had to start their sessions with like ten, five or ten minutes of just conversation. Hey, how are you doing? Because until kids feel safe, they can't learn. If they're on alert, that, that fills their brain. And you can't fill it with anything else. So that it has to be a place that's safe for them to be able to learn. And part of that is building those relational skills. Younger children, we want them to understand life application. You know, why, why does this verse have relevance to my life? That's why we use, with preschoolers and younger kids, we use Bible thoughts as well as Bible, the whole Bible's scripture because we want them to take the essence of the scripture. If they can't remember the whole verse, at least take that essence home. And that makes it easier to apply to their life. That's why parents need to know what you're teaching on Sunday. That's how we include parents so that they can help with this life application. Um, for younger kids, we begin in earnest with some evangelism, that overt evangelism where we talk about the need for a savior. What are we being saved from? 
um, you know, we, we may, because we've heard these words forever, we assume kids know what they mean what they mean and kids are less and less church less and less biblically literate and so we can't assume that they know what these words mean like maybe we did in the past we and don't so assume that they know phrases like uh, since they're literal minded give jesus your heart yeah or have jesus in your heart that's yeah. an adult phrase that's not a child phrase i went out and talked to a first grader or, no, I think he was four. His parents were convinced that he had made a profession of faith. And one of the evidences they used is he said he could feel Jesus walking around in his heart. And, well, I won't go into my, my end of the conversation. But um, anyway, having that evangelism and discipleship, you know, having that in earnest, what does it mean to follow Christ? And I asked Folks, how did Jesus disciple his disciples? His disciples, in an essence, were like preschoolers. Some of them did not have that history of what it meant to be a devout Jew. And so they didn't even, they didn't even have that basic teaching. So how did Jesus disciple them? Yeah, relationships, time, living life. See this? This is what this is like. But that is just being in the moment. He was in the moment with them. And so I'm asking you as leaders, how can you set your heart and your mind that you are in the moment with them? That means you've prepared ahead of time. So you're not worried about getting this copy made or this... Um, resource cut out because you've already done it. So you have time to be in the moment with the kids. And then for older kids, um, helping them create a biblical worldview. Everybody in the world is telling them has a worldview. And for many, it is not biblical. And so this may be the only place they get it. We don't know. If parents aren't taking discipleship at home seriously and come back at, after lunch and I'll teach you how to do that. But um, if they are not teaching this at home, you may be the only place that help, is helping them establish a biblical worldview that may be counter to the worldview they're being exposed to everywhere else. Um, we want to give them a lens for disciple making. You know, we there for a long time, people wore bracelets and said, what would Jesus do? This is where we want them to think about what would Jesus do and what did Jesus do? And so those things help develop that lens for disciple making and helps them with making choices through a biblical worldview. And that's not something that's going to come naturally. We're people. We have a sin nature. That is not natural. When I talked about creating defaults, this is part of that creating defaults where that comes into play. It's also going against everything everybody else around them does. Right. And how do we instill in them, because older kids are trying to figure out who they are, how they fit in the group. How do we help them? It's almost like that preteen thing, and they'll, they'll explore it more when they get into youth, but this is the beginning of that conversation of, of identity. Am I going to be like everybody else, or am I going to be a follower of Christ? So we are beginning in earnest that conversation when they're in, as older children. 
So, and helping their parents understand that because their parents may not be making that choice either. We don't know what's being modeled at home. So this is huge. Again, you may be the lone voice in the wilderness for these kids, but you've got to be sure of, of what you're doing. And what I want you to take away, one of the things that drives me crazy is when people go, I just teach children or I just teach the nursery. Oh, just don't. Just is not part of it. I tell people that, that there are times when the sky roll, the clouds roll back, and I go, I get the best part of a person's life. Most people who become Christians do so before the age of 12. Guys, we got it. We have this moment in a person's life when we can set them on a course for following Christ for the rest of their life. What an honor. You remember, sometimes I get so humbled that God chose me to get to do this. So there is no, I'm just this. I'm like, wow, God chose me. Out of all the people he could have chosen, he chose me to get to do this. There is no just in that. I mean, it is an honor and a privilege. And then with older kids, we can begin in earnest uh, teaching about spiritual disciplines. Um, service, that we are serving because Christ, because Christ served us. And evangelism, not only are they evangelized, but they can evangelize others. Um, that discipleship is an important part of life, not just on Sunday morning. Discipleship is about Jesus discipled all week long, 24-7. And so being a disciple of Christ is not Sunday morning. It's 24-7. Uh, worship. I know a lot, and this is a whole other conference and discussion. It's a ministry philosophy question. But, you know, those fourth and fifth graders, are they learning that they are part of corporate church through participating in corporate worship? So, um, and then prayer. They need to see you pray. They need to help they need to be taught that prayer is a first resort not a last resort and sometimes again you may be the lone person in their life saying these things now as you plan for transformative teaching it's tuesday afternoon i hope and you have got your material in front of you it is not saturday night at 10 30. it is tuesday afternoon about 7 30. And you've got your curriculum out because you're excited about what you're going to teach on Sunday and you want God to speak through you. So you are teaching from the overflow of what God is doing in your life through the material He has entrusted you to teach. Does that sound good? So if we're going to plan, we're going to plan on three levels. Um, we want to teach for understanding what information will be presented or reinforced. Out of all this material here, like I said, you're going to chunk information. What are the, what's your number one chunk of information you want your kids to take away that week? What's number two? What's number three? And is this a good approach for sharing the information? I tell people curriculum is an educated suggestion. 
You know your kids best. You know what they're offering. If you've got a bunch of boys and they're saying sit down and, and tear paper and glue it on, you know, tear construction paper and glue it. You know, for some boys tearing the paper is going to be fun. I have to admit that. But, you know, and it may be watercolor. It may be something that you know your children are not going to engage with. Guess what? You don't have to do it. If you can come up with a way that teaches a better approach for sharing the information, give yourself permission to do it. Um, we want to teach for purpose. So you need to look at, first and foremost, what is your goal? What's your takeaway? When they think about the lesson on Wednesday morning, what is the thing you want them to take away? What do you want them to remember most? And then you teach and plan toward that so that everything you do is reinforcing. They're not just getting it <clears throat> one time. They're getting it multiple times in multiple ways. And why is this takeaway important? Like I said, you have less than one half of 1% to teach. To te that's the time, face time you're going to have with kids. So, if you have that limited time, what is your takeaway? What do you think God wants them to take away out of everything you could teach on Sunday morning? And then for value, how does this activity impact life beyond the session, beyond Sunday morning? And so, and that's critical. You know, sometimes um, we think that if we have kept them busy so the adults can do church, we've done our job. Uh, I mean, sometimes that's easy to do. Sometimes it's easy just to throw parents a... Think that. Parents think that, yes. And there are church leaders who will think that. They're the ones who don't want to fund your budget, but that's a whole other conversation. <laughs> but um, so why, how does this impact, in, this activity impact life beyond the session? Um, why, why should I be teaching this? You know, how is this going to impact how they live their life at school? or at preschool, or at home with their brothers and sisters. You know, what does that take away? How is this going to impact them for the future? Will they have faith five years from now, yeah. ten years from now? Yeah. Will they have faith? Is, it's, it's almost, sometimes on Sunday morning, I, I know this is simplistic, but is what you're teaching going to be another Lego that fits into their faith, faith wall? Yeah. You know? Because you're not going to do everything in a life in, in one Sunday morning. But is, is what I'm doing worthy of being added to that wall? So I'm asking you as leaders to raise your game, to consider what you're doing um, on Sundays. Some of you may be doing what you're doing with excellence. I don't know you. I don't know what you're doing. But I'm asking you to do a self-evaluation. Is what I'm doing having transformative um, value in the life of a child and in his family? Do you have questions about what we've talked about so far? I just wish the whole group here today could have heard this. <laughs> well, Everybody. Well, if this thing oh. works, if I push the right button, they can. They can. <laughs> we'll find out. <laughs> All right. We're going to kind of play this out. Um, on your sheet, on the back sheet, 
This is an actual activity from Gospel Project. I'm not promoting Gospel Project. It's just what came up first. And it was, this is the story of God encourages Joshua. It's for older preschoolers. I'm going to ask you to read through. There are two activities listed here. First of all, I want you to think about your group, especially if you're a preschool teacher, which one of these activities would fit your group best and why do you think it's important? What, what's your takeaway from this activity? So let's read through it together. Like I said, you have a copy of it if you prefer to read it on paper. It's the same thing. Or if you won't, don't want to do that, you can do head, shoulders, knees, and toes with the music. <laughs> Okay, which activity would be more effective in teaching the group of children with whom you serve? The first one? Why? Why do you think it would? I don't know who said first one. I have first and second graders, and with the time that we've lost, we are a little bit still building up. Um, they're young. They don't, they don't mm -hmm. read quite Mm -hmm. proficiently yet yeah. and so the first one is more hands-on than conversational and we have a lot of boys and they'd be throwing those dice all over the place um, <laughs> but they would really get in on that magnet maze thing that would yeah th those activities okay. be better suited for ours somebody else which for mine it depends on we have two different hours so it depends on which hour and which teacher okay well just pick just randomly pick yeah, one we have one teacher that um has a very good control over her class. They they know that when Miss Donna says something, they have to do it, and so she's established that. And so the magnet play would be really good for them because she could talk them through. And the boys would mm -hmm. want to see the magnets do different things, and she could um, do that well. Without yeah. What information, if you were a teacher teaching it, what information would you want to share in the activity? How would you share it? Through conversation. Yeah. Question and discussion. Yeah. Jeff, give us an example. What would you say? I'm going to put you on the spot. How would you teach this? 
Um, well, I, I mean, again, I think it certainly depends on the, the, <laughs> on the group and, yeah. and, and um, the child. Um, but, you know, just asking the question, um, uh, what do you... What do you what do you think we can learn from this experience? Um, what does this remind you of when you think about our story today? Yeah. Um, how do you think you could do this at home? What's another way you could show this at home? Yeah. And hopefully, a child might say, "Well, God promised to be with uh, Joshua, and I think." He'll be with me along life's way or this week or today. Yeah. And, and relate it that God promised uh, Joshua he would be with him, and I'm trusting him to be with me. Yeah. And if for me, th this is just the way I think. Yeah, yeah. If I wanted to expand this activity, I would have a piece of paper and let them name, have blocks and let them name, this is my house, this is uh, school, this is church, this is... Walmart, whatever's in their community, and do a map. And, and to me, that makes it more visual. And so as I go to school, God is with me wherever I go. You know, and so you can take what's there and expand it out and make it more relevant. Um, I love that they give you things to say, but those are suggestions. They're not just, you're not, just not verbatim unless you're just really uncomfortable. If you are a new teacher, the great thing about the suggested conversation is it gives you age-appropriate language. It gives you a cadence. You know, if you use like a sentence with, you know, that's five, five lines long, they're going to get lost in the sentence. So it, it teaches you how to talk to kids also, to preschoolers. Um, it is time for your Chick-fil-A box. And so, but I would challenge you to look at the last activity too on your own. Answer those questions. Take those questions back with you. Cut those off and stick it in your learning guide to help you in, as you plan for teaching so that what you're teaching has the greatest um, opportunity for transformative teaching. So let me pray for us and um, I'm going to ask a blessing on our food at the same time so that um, you can just dig right in. So I thank you, God, for these people who love you and love your children. We pray, God, that you would inspire them. Um, just put a fire in their hearts and their bellies, Lord, that um, all that they do and say will um, be transformative that there will be lifelong uh, building uh, on the faith foundations that have been started by others because of the work that they do with children and their families. I thank you for them and pray, God, that you bless our uh, meal, bless our conversations, and uh, we just thank you, God. We thank you that you love us as children. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay. Abby Miller, uh, my associate, oh, cool. and, uh, and one of the associates. We've, we've uh, added a lot of new people recently, and uh, uh, Abby's been doing this now about three, 